Welcome to RPG A Day 2020. <laughs> Whoops. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. I make a pawn in about time too about not playing the ND. It was free through all and I heard him say he bought my but just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Hi, it's me, Spencer, free for all. This is Keep Off the Borderlands. I had kind of decided earlier on in the year that because of circumstances at home, I probably wasn't going to be able to get involved in RPG a day month this year. But that's not to say it didn't completely sneak up on me and take me totally unawares. But shout out to those who have been able to get involved this year. And it's great to see a few new names in there. A few new voices getting involved. Um, let's see. Jules is back. Jules Burgesser, Jules from NZ, DM for Hire, is back. Uh, reflecting on her Fate of Eisen campaign, that long-term actual play she's been involved in. Colin Spike Pit Green is in there too. And um, Joe Richter, Hindsightless, Will or Woe is is back and um yeah some new ones um Carl Rodriguez geomologist presents has got involved this year BJ of the arcane alienist has been putting out episodes every other day which has been great Arlen Walker live from Pelham's wasteland has been putting out episodes on YouTube and um I'm sure am, am I forgetting anyone Oh, and it was great to hear Runeslinger himself. He's actually got an anchor podcast, which I wasn't aware of, Casting Shadows. I heard him call into a couple of shows, and then uh, that led me to his podcast. I know he's contributed in the past via YouTube, but it was really great to discover him on anchor and hear him calling in to some of the other anchorites. He's the co-creator of RPG A Day Month, along with David Chapman, who is responsible for creating Wild, the Kickstarter I backed and um, unboxed in my previous episode. So, uh, yeah, something I, I didn't realise until now. So with that out of the way, let's get on to some of the messages which have been languishing for, well, almost a month now, I think. So, uh, without further ado. Well, um, it's the 21st of August, literally two weeks, I think, since the previous message. Uh, I just wanted to add to that previous message that um, Runeslinger is also known as Anthony Boyd. And I've really been enjoying those episodes. 
I could listen to that guy talk about almost anything. So, um, yeah, check that out if you haven't. Casting Shadows. Also, Kevin of the Red Caps podcast has been doing a weekly roundup of the daily topics. So, uh, yeah, check those out. The Red Caps podcast is a, a great listen. So, uh, yeah, it seems it was a good decision, me not getting involved in RPG a day month this year because I've I've struggled to even put out one episode of, you know, the regular podcast. So, uh, yeah, so I think that was a good call on my part. And because of my lack of involvement, I've really appreciated uh, the fact that more people have jumped on board this year as well. Um, and, um, yeah, what's prompted me to pick up the mic again today? Well, I have an unboxing, which um, I believe is something that I've been waiting for for quite some time. Uh, it's about nine by seven, about four inches deep. Let's go on with opening it. Nicely wrapped. That's, that's ah, yes, it is. Here we go. Airbags and some... Uh, Serious bubble wrap. I can already see what it is. Ah, lovely little package. No prizes for guessing what I've got here. That's it. What is it? Four, six books all told. And uh, what lovely books they are. Old School Essentials Advanced Fantasy. Got the the referee's tome, lovely. I mean, these things are just beautiful. Um, yeah, so basically, yeah, I backed the the advanced uh, players' tome, referees' tome. Oh, they're nice. They are very nice. Already familiar with the, the quality of these products because I've got the uh, classic rules tome, but um, they are really nice. And also, there's a couple of adventure scenarios here. The Incandescent Grottos by Gavin Norman himself. Little hardback volume. Um, nice map on the inside there, on the end paper. And um, yeah, I look forward to reading that. Very nicely illustrated by... Um, Nature May, I believe, is it? Yep, love it. I do love his stuff. Um, and also, Halls of the Blood King, uh, by Diogo Noguera. No, Noguera, um, apologies if I butchered your name there, Diogo. Yeah, nice use of the end papers again. First floor, second floor, lovely stuff there um there's a random table at the back and uh who's illustrated this um, justin jones um i'm not i'm not sure i've seen justin's work before quite possibly have it's i mean it's 
It's great stuff. I mean, it's a fantastic cover on this. Um, sort of uh, swords and wizardry vibe to it. There's almost that... There's something quite sort of, I don't know, more cocky about it, I guess. Um, but that's, that's what it's saying to me. Lovely. And in addition to those... Uh, we've got the Advanced Fantasy Reference Booklet. That's uh, Softback. I think it's just a book of tables and stuff. Pretty handy. And the Carcass Crawler, official old school essential zine. Exclusive inaugural issue for the Kickstarter backers only. Eight new fantasy classes, three new races, expanded adventuring gear. Very nice. I've been really, <laughs> I've been really struggling seeing uh, everybody get those um, on Facebook and um, seeing them on on store shelves and stuff in the US. So really nice to finally have those arrive. And uh, I'm gonna have to find some space on the shelf for those. A bit of uh, reorganisation, I think, needs to be implemented there. But lovely, lovely books. So, <laughs> with that out of the way, I'd best finally get around to answering these messages. Hey Spencer, Daniel from Bandits Keep, listening to your unboxing because I am an unboxing addict. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that box set had a solo play and that, that now that intrigues me even though I'm not a huge Call of Cthulhu person. Um, solo play is one of those things I've been thinking about a lot as well. I was looking at possibly using Forbidden Lands for that. So uh, I'm curious how it works out for you. And I uh, look forward to hearing in the future episodes. Hey Daniel, thanks for calling. Daniel Norton from Bandits Keep there. And I'm glad I was able to provide you with yet another unboxing. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm also uh, happy to have brought that solo scenario to your attention from the Cthulhu box set. And I think as a means of teaching you the rules, I, I don't think you can, you can beat that as an idea, as a concept. Um, I mean, it was there back in the day in Frank Mensa's Red Box basic D&D, and uh, I, I'm surprised it's something that isn't, hasn't been readily adopted as a means of teaching the rules, because I certainly ascribe to that idea that you it's very difficult to understand how a game works before you actually play it, and although a solo session is not going to provide the same experience as a group session, I think it's going to give you some idea of the game as an experience, albeit a somewhat limited one. As for the, the Cthulhu box set, you've also got that one-on-one -on -one scenario in there, which um, I'm hoping I can get my wife playing with that. Um, but we'll see. At the moment, it's just a matter of finding time, really. On the subject of solo role-playing, um, it's something I've attempted a couple of times in the past, a couple of different ways, and um, I'm not sure I've been 
entirely satisfied with the results. But it's it's certainly something I'd like to play around more with. A shout out to James Saul with his wonderful Subclass Act podcast, which has been uh, an inspiration in that regard. It's uh, a solo actual play, but he really goes into his process of solo play, what tools he uses and, uh, you know, trying out different systems as well. Really, really great stuff. And um, so if you're not listening to that, it's well worth checking out. And it was through listening to that that um, Parts Per Million was brought to my attention. Now, Parts Per Million um, is, well, it's one guy, Peter Rubin Burgess, who creates a lot of solo material. He's been releasing a a few little books. Um, These are probably around 20, 30 pages long. Uh, One that I picked up recently was Easier Solo Play. Um, I found this really interesting and it got me wanting to get back into, uh, you know, playing around with a solo session. It got me thinking about a solo session of Into the Odd that I did. That has really kind of stuck in my mind and I often contemplated returning to that and continuing that story. And, uh, I, you know... I would I would still like to do that at some point. Um yeah, that was that was quite quite a way back in the catalogue. Episode sixteen, I think we're alone now, where I, I um recount a into the odd session. It wasn't actually a live session, it was part of sort of a um a writing exercise really. Um and uh, yeah, I, as I say, I'd like to go back to that and maybe bring it forward to you know incorporate electric bastion land and uh yeah pick up that story where i left off and yes back to parts per million um peter has produced a whole series of of books the most recent series as i say easier solo role playing um there's easier storytelling i think um uh, there's one about um, bringing horror into your game, or more effective horror games, um, which uh, I, I think, well, certainly the easiest solo role-playing one has got a lot of really useful practical information in there. He also produces these uh, system-specific solo aids for things like... Um, I think he's done one for Mothership. There's one for Maltborg, one for Forbidden Lands. There's an OSR one, uh, which I believe James Saar was actually using, which is what brought it to my attention. So thanks again for that, James. Um, And he's also produced these uh, cut-up books, which look interesting, where um, essentially... Uh, these are themed around. I think there's there's a Conan one, uh, where he takes kind of a public domain literature and cuts out sections of the book, sentences, descriptions, bits of dialogue, and puts them on like a random table, separates them out into just a few lines or maybe a paragraph, or even 
just a couple of words and uh, you roll them up randomly and use those as inspiration for solo play and I'd like to yeah play around with that see how that works so yeah a lot of great stuff there and thanks again Daniel for giving me the opportunity to talk about that cheers hey Spencer I just wanted to call and say welcome to the cult of Cthulhu Um, I uh, know that you've been playing Call of Cthulhu for about 10 months um, but I just wanted to say thanks for sharing your unboxing of the starter set and I'm kind of pleased in a way that Carl and I in our conversation uh, managed to sort of I don't know, encourage you to get that product, I suppose. I think it's a very good product. I think that, you know, Alone Against Flames is fun to play solo, but the scenarios themselves build really nicely um, and I think help build a keeper's confidence in running good games. So just think you're going to enjoy that. It is very nicely made as well, um, as is all of the 7th edition stuff, really. So, yeah, just welcome, and um, I hope that you enjoy the product. I really do. Game on, man. Game on. Thank you, Che, for that lovely message. Che Webster there of Roleplay Rescue. And yeah, like as you say, it is a very nicely put together little box. And um, it's just a matter of me sitting down and uh, <laughs> and tucking into the thing. Yeah, as you say, it was Carl and yourself that um, gave me that little nudge to actually pick the thing up. I mean, I had heard in the past that it was quite a well-regarded little product and certainly no regrets there as you say i've been playing for about 10 months in maybe even longer i'm not sure um in andy goodman's call of cthulhu sessions which have just been incredible um really having so much fun there and um i think i have a couple of calls from andy actually coming up but before I get on to that, um, I just wanted to talk a bit about an episode of Roleplay Rescue that um, really got me thinking. Um, it seems so long ago now. but uh, Way back in episode 904, um, Two Ways, One Me, where Che looks at Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering. Sorry, I butchered that title, haven't I? No, I think that is right. Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering. Yeah. And um, Jay was looking through that, looking at the player typology, and uh, what was quite striking was how he... Jay was reading through the definitions of the, the, the kind of player that Jay feels he is and the implications of that in terms of being a game master. It was really quite affecting listening to Che read through those definitions and contemplate the feelings that he had while reading that, you know, the stuff there that didn't feel so comfortable and and um, kind of contemplating the implications of that. And I thought I might benefit myself from from reading through those and considering the the bits that made me feel uncomfortable and consider the implications there. So looking at those types, one thing that I felt I identified with at the same time, taking an immediate dislike to the idea that I am the method actor. You know, um, Robin writes, the method actor believes that role-playing 
as a medium for personal expression, strongly identifying with the characters he plays. Now, I certainly don't have any problem with the second part of that sentence. Well, no, I don't have have any problem with that sentence, apart from the label, the method actor. I just... And reading on might explain why. He may believe that it's creatively important to establish a radically different character each time out. I'm not sure that's the case, but um, I'm certainly not averse to trying different characters. Um, The method actor bases his decisions on his understanding of his character. That's certainly true. On the understanding of his character's psychology. I certainly feel that that's true. And may become obstructive if other group members expect him to contradict it for rules reasons or in pursuit of a broader goal. Um, that, like, that sentence suggests problems that I don't believe I've encountered. I mean, the idea that me playing in that way is obstructive. It certainly doesn't feel like the experience that I've had in playing. I would say that if I feel the party is doing something that my character is not necessarily happy to go along with, that I would express these reservations, but go with the party rather than dig my heels in and say, no, no, my character wouldn't do that. Um, Because, you know, obviously I'm there to play. He may view rules as, at best, a necessary evil. I kind of like that. Preferring sessions in which the dice never come out of their bags. Well, I wouldn't say that's true because I love rolling dice just as an aesthetic thing. And, um, yeah, there is something, to me, the dice represent a random element, the the possibility of things not going your way and you having to compromise and work around the, the things that dice results throw up. Um, situations that test or deepen his personality traits are your key to entertaining the method actor. I certainly feel that that's the case, although I don't necessarily see that as the GM's job to provide me with that as a player. As a player, I feel that I can kind of seek that stuff out in-game myself. Um, I'm particularly thinking of playing in Dave Aldridge's games where Dave's, you know, what comes up during session is primarily determined using random tables. Dave is very improvisational GM. I believe, and I think in that situation, as a player, you can kind of find and engage in those situations without the the GM intending to present you with those particular kinds of scenarios, if that makes sense. Now, the next one's interesting. The storyteller, like the method actor is more inclined to the role-play side of the equation and less interested in numbers and experience points. Well, that certainly speaks to me. 
On the other hand, he's more interested in taking part in a fun narrative that feels like a book or a movie than in strict identification with his character. Mm, That doesn't sit right with me. I think I'd lean towards the method actor in that respect. And I'm very much... Um, like the idea of emergent storytelling through events and kind of creating a narrative in retrospect. And I've spoken about that before. Um, He's quick to compromise if it moves the story forward and may get bored when the game slows down for a long planning session. I'm I'm feeling a box being ticked there when I read that. You can please him by introducing and developing plot threads and by keeping the action moving, as would any skilled novelist or film director. Um, Yeah, I can see the appeal of that. Um, The the suggestion of keeping the action moving, I I don't necessarily... uh, I'm thinking about the word action there and thinking or rather not thinking of it in the action movie context, just action as in things occurring, you know. So, yeah, keeping the game flowing. But um, I would hate to kind of put the responsibility on the GM for them to feel that they have to present me with some finely crafted story or plot especially for me, as I say, I like to interpret what's occurring in kind of a a narrative context. And I think in a lot of ways, that's just going on within me as I'm playing or, or on reflection after play. Now, the casual gamer, often forgotten in discussions of this sort, but almost every group has one. I would say that I fall into this category too. Um, casual gamers tend to be low-key folks who are uncomfortable taking centre stage. Yep, that's, that sounds like me, even in a small group. Often they're present to hang out with the group and game just because it happens to be an activity that everyone else has chosen. Um, well that, there's certainly a social aspect to why I play. But um, there are certainly games that I don't feel particularly drawn to that I may not, you know, that I may... Um, there's certainly a social aspect to why I play. But um, there seems to be a suggestion in there that nothing else matters, you know just being with your friends and why that's highly important to me to sort of bond with a group, just, you know, feel I'm amongst friends and spend time with those people. The the, the game has, or the type of game we're playing does, for me, seem to have a greater importance than how this is worded. Though they are elusive creatures, casual gamers can be vitally important to a gaming group survival. Yeah, no problems there. Uh, They fill out the ranks, which is especially important in games that spread vital PC abilities across a wide number of 
character types or classes. Um, yeah, I do tend to think, you know, if I've got to create a character for a game, I like to know what the party needs. What you know, I like to bring something of value to the party, and um, I would lean towards that. I like to know what would be my most helpful character-wise, uh, especially if they are present. Mostly for social reasons, they may fill an important role in the group's interpersonal dynamic. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, often they're the mellow moderating type who keeps the most assertive personalities from each other's throats. <laughs> yeah, that certainly speaks to me. I'm definitely a peacemaker in or out of character. Yeah. I mentioned the casual player because the thing he most fervently wants is to remain in the background. He doesn't want to have to learn rules or come up with a plot hook for his character or engage in detailed planning. You may think it's a bad thing that he sits there for much of the session thumbing through your latest purchases from the comic book store, but hey, that's what he wants. Now, I... I I don't like the implication there that because I'm casual, because I'm laid back, that I'm not paying attention. Certainly like to think that I am paying attention. I try not to have distractions while I'm playing. Perhaps that's because I'm prone to being distracted. Maybe. But I certainly don't want to be thumbing through something else while the, while the game's going on. Um... The last thing you want to do is to force him into a greater degree of participation than he's comfortable with. Of course, if everybody in the group is sitting there reading through your comic books, you've definitely got a problem. Now, um, I would certainly say I don't necessarily enjoy having the spotlight on me that, um, you know, when the GM turns around and says, oh, what do you think? Do you, you know, do you know this person? Tell me more about this, where you are. Um, what does this device do? And things like that. The idea of freeform magic kind of worries me in that respect. <laughs> you know, because I don't, I don't like being put on the spot, I guess. That doesn't necessarily mean that I shouldn't be put on the spot. Because sometimes wonderful things happen. But it is an uncomfortable place for me, I've got to say. And thinking about all that in respect to GMing, I think uh, that's, that's, that's a big reason, I think, for why I am not <laughs> wrestling to get myself in the GM chair. Let's... Let's put it like that, shall we? Yeah, but all very interesting stuff, for me at least. I hope you're still awake. Anyway, I'm supposed to be getting through these messages, aren't I? Thanks very much for inspiring that, Che. And um, yeah, really appreciated your call. Cheers. Hello Spencer, Andy here from Grizzly Peaks. 
Centre Park, Centre Parks, had to leave a message because uh, when I was a kid, um, I used to think Centre Parks was all under the dome. Like the whole thing was under a dome, like this entire ecosystem, a bit like Logan's Run or something. Um, I was very disappointed to find out later that, that it wasn't all under a dome, that there was perhaps a swimming pool under a dome and the rest was, you know, outdoors. But but still, good image, good image. And uh, as I said on the Discord, you are going to have an IP fight on your hands soon because uh, Michael Curtis has is writing a module for DCC called Keep Off the Borderlands and they just announced it on the Twitch stream for their Dying Earth Kickstarter just last night. Get ready, get lawyered up. See you soon. Thank you, Andy. Andy Goodman there from Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, or should that be Expedition from the Grizzly Peaks, given his recent move to his uh, his rather impressive, if if a little creepy looking, I think, house in the woods. Yes, Centre Parks, Centre Parks. I did have that same vision of it myself, um, you know, prior to actually going there. You know, I think I was confusing it with the Eden Project or Silent Running or something. Uh, but this kind of, yeah, these domes connected by tunnels, like some, like 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 one of those elaborate hamster uh, cage complex things. I say cage; it's not not really a cage because they're kind of made out of perspex or whatever. And um, I keep going to call them condos, but uh, <laughs> I I don't know why. I mean, that suggests the hamsters have kind of you know, exclusivity rights to each part of the the complex and there's, you know, public access tunnels and possibly some kind of maintenance agreement. But uh, hamsters don't want to be worrying themselves about all that kind of stuff. They just want to run around in circles and stuff their faces with food like the rest of us. Um, yeah, as for the whole uh, keep off the Borderlands DCC situation, um, I don't know. Is that really worth worrying about? I mean, I'm just a small potato in a in a big pond. Um, I'm not sure that's really worth pursuing, is it? Anyway, as as usual, Andy, you've not finished. Oh, and you thought you'd misspoken, but you hadn't. You're a genius, and you don't even know it. Fantasy. Fancy, fancy is a contraction of fantasy. In the mid fifteenth century, that it was one word. Fancy and fantasy were the same word, meaning, you know, a, a whim or a desire, um, something from your imagination, something that you desired from your imagination. Um, yeah, <laughs> the only reason I know that is. Um, is that Neil Stevenson uses the word fancy, fancy, P-H-A-N-T-S-Y, which I don't think is a real word, but it's kind of like both fantasy, P-H, fantasy, and fancy together. He uses that in in the Baroque trilogy. But anyway, there you go. You're clever lad, clever lad. A genius, eh? Well, I'm glad it's finally being recognised, even if it is by a complete accident. I, I think there's a little something else. 
Hey Spencer, um, I must have missed that episode where you did the Call of Cthulhu unboxing. I'm so pleased that, um, well, I've had at least some minor influence uh, on your on you to to delve to dive into that it is a fantastic box set and i um i'm sure you know now already but in case you never did follow up the dice so the extra blue d10 is for rolling penalties and bonus dice so it's easy to remember which is your you know your modifier dice and there's no d12 because there is nothing Nothing in the whole of Call of Cthulhu rules that requires you to roll a d12. And isn't that sad? It's kind of sad, isn't it? It's a bit tragic. Because the d12's a great dice, isn't it? Die. Uh, oh, well. Can't do everything right. Can't do anything right, you say? Yeah, I'll say. Missing an episode? What are you like, Andy? Jeez. Oh, commitment. I want to see more commitment from you. Okay. Especially if I'm actually buying into this thing. And, and no room for a D12. I've never heard such nonsense. Ugh. Well, it's a good job old uh, Jeremy Frothsoft Smith has come to the rescue with his uh, 12v12 system. Um, a nice looking little system, actually, that Jeremy has kindly made available on the Thought Eater blog. I believe. Um, I actually, I'll try and put a link to that in the description. Um, yeah, but thanks for those calls, Andy. Um, good to know that you're out there listening to the occasional episode. Oh well, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, I don't know. Let's see if there are any messages that are perhaps a little bit more encouraging. Well, Spencer, I I think the the bit of your episode where you're in the garden with your daughter and you're trying to talk about the Troika game, I think that's one of the best best things I've heard for a while. So I don't think that did go pear-shaped at all. I think you should do more of it. And seeing as uh, you've got this low dex stat that you talk about and you know you're 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 as likely to make a pig's ear of uh, an unboxing of unboxing something as um uh, doing the whole thing justice but always creating good radio um you should you should you should get her to help you out you get her to open the tarot deck you know that's what i think oh and of course the appearance of the center park's gurgler was also really cool and yeah i've been to center parks once uh obviously with a family with the fam the family <laughs> a family the family and actually it was it was just as my mother had been diagnosed uh with a brain tumor and that was all so it's such a weird time and we were going with my stepdad and it was actually quite yeah, it was actually quite nice to go to be in that space, to be in that weird little house and to have this kind of structure, but also be in some kind of na nature uh, was good. 
I thought it was good. So I think a, a good product, a good product of late capitalism. Barney of Loco Ludus there, thank you very much for your kind words. Uh, it's funny, Centre Centre Parks is a curious place. I, I I probably spoke a little bit disparagingly about it, kind of my, maybe a little bit of snobbery coming through when I was talking about it before, but it really is a great place, um, uh, certainly if you've got a young family. And, um, yeah, that curious sort of, you know, are we in the countryside? Oh, not really. It's all a little bit of it's a strange sort of hinterland where, where you are surrounded by nature, but there is, you know, that sort of obvious artificiality of how everything is organised and structured. Um, yeah, yeah, a curious place. And uh, sorry uh, to hear about the circumstances in which you were were last there, but it, it sounds like um, you kind of enjoyed your time there. And I've I got to say, I really had a great time, you know, meeting up, up with my parents. I don't know if it's the same with all people's parents, but any kind of extended period of time spent together can lead to some fractious moments. But, um, no, it, it went really well. And and just for you, Barney, there's a little bit more that time that I spent in the garden trying to talk about Troika uh, which which I didn't include because you know the wind was picking up and it was a little bit a little bit breezy out there that day, uh, but but I'm going to leave you with a little more of that. Right, so where was I? Um, Let's play the game. So we're on another planet, and what is that planet called? Mars. Mars. We're on the planet Mars. Okay. And what would happen in this Well, let's say, who would you like to be in the story? I would like to be... A girl. A girl? Okay. And, um, uh, can I pick a name in this? You can pick a name. What's, what's, what's your name in the story? Yoga. Yoga. Let's say that yoga has some special powers. What's her special powers? Uh, lightning powers. Lightning powers. Wow. How did that work? So, your name's Yoga. You've got lightning powers. Right, and where do you live on Mars? I live... In a in a house. I live in a dark tunnel. Oh, you live in a dark tunnel. Why is it so dark? Do you like it being dark in there? Yeah. Right. Because yoga likes dark. Yoga likes dark. Can yoga see in the dark? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, let's say, at the entrance of the tunnel, 
you can see across a valley and on the other side of the valley there is a castle and do you know who lives in that castle the queen the queen yes but not a nice queen it's she's a naughty queen what does she do well she's very mean to people she makes them give all their things to her if they um, got a farm they grow food they have to give it to the queen if they make things they make nice things they have to give that to the queen so they don't really get to keep much for themselves this makes the people very sad what happens if you what happens if you kill the queen if you kill the queen do you think there might be other options? What will the queen do to you? What will the queen do to you? Well, what do naughty queens do? The naughty queen chops off your head. She chops off your head? If, if you kill her, she chops <laughs> off If you head. kill her, she chops off your head. Well, that's one hell of a defence mechanism. So she can chop off your head, even when she's dead. Do you know, because when she's dead, she cannot be dead forever because she has special powers and she can pick up her life back and then she chops off your head. That's so she picks up her life back? Yes, she can. Wow. You know that would happen. That's why there can be hands in her stomach. She calls her hands out on her stomach and then the hands come and pick up the life back in her tummy. Wow, her hands come out of her stomach. In her tummy there's a hand that reaches and gets it in her tummy. Reaches her life, pulls her life back into her tummy. Yeah. A special hand that comes out. Yeah. Well. With love hearts on it. With love hearts on it. Okay. That's right. And she's called the Restless Queen. The Restless Queen? That's a brilliant name for a queen that won't die. And so how, how do you think you might get rid of a queen that can't die? Tummy, she won't see who it is and then she will die. That's what you do. Oh, you have to punch her and in the then, tummy. And then you got to call the hand out and get on the hand, gives you a knife and puts it in his tummy. Hmm. So that's it puts how, it. That's how you. It puts. Queen. It puts her life in your tummy. Yeah, and that's how you beat the queen. I, I, and then. Then what happens? What what happens when you when they, you've done that? Hang on, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. Come back. No, this is crazy. This is crazy. 
<laughs> you. Uh, listen. Right. Okay. Now, what happens when you've got the Queen's life in your tummy? She gets more life. Because she steals people's lives and then she gets more life when another people kills her. She gets more life. So how can you defeat the queen, the restless queen? You come, the superhero, yoga, with the lightning powers, who can see in the dark. I lightning her, and then she was dead. That's how we get her, with the lightning. So she doesn't wake up after the lightning gets her? No. No. And then what happens to you? Do you be become the queen? But they give me the crown. They give you the crown? I'm a good queen. And they tell you to be a good queen? And do you agree to be a good queen? Excellent. And that's, well, the end. that's the end. Okay. Well, that was fun. Well, that's about enough for me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off The Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Free Thrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan, for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.